The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Pure Hoops podcast, NBA summer. It is July 11th, Eric Newman in New York, BJ Armstrong, Back in L.A. from Summer League, he survived the earthquake, the blockbuster, and so much more. B.J., how are you, my man? Hey, Eric, I can't complain. It was definitely hot out in Vegas. Lots of activity throughout the NBA. The free agency was just insane. Then you have all of the young players and executives. So uh, it was quite the scene out there in the uh, – in the, in the desert in Vegas. Before we get into many of these specifics, can you believe it's been 15 years in Vegas and that thing started as an experiment because the Boston location was being used for a political convention and they said, let's try Vegas and it's turned into this. I mean, it's, it's wild. Well, I, I can believe it. You know, um, you know, the funny thing, it was uh, Warren Gary and, and crew, you know, they used to work here in Washington. So I remember when this first started mm-hmm. uh, right here in the offices, it came as an idea of where, where could they possibly have it where uh, the players would would enjoy being there. Um, I don't know if you remember Tim Gergeridge and those guys used to do a, a like a, a camp, a basketball camp for, for like young players out in Vegas that was just growing where all the young guys, first and second year players would go and train with Tim Gergeridge and a lot of NBA coaches from uh, teams around the league. So that's kind of how it started. And then it's kind of grown from there and to watch it evolve to where it's at now to where it's an event. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a must see TV and, and um, you know, uh, thing that's going on in the summer and it's really family entertainment. And uh, when you go out there, I mean, those, you know, the, the arena is packed, the gyms are going, all the executives and really it's the NBA at its best as far as entertainment value. Yeah, I, I was blown away when I was producing out there back in my my bleacher days with uh, our friend of the program, Howard Beck, and we were just grabbing people on the fly and doing these quick interviews. And all of a sudden, after three days, you've interviewed five NBA head coaches, four GMs, five active players, and you're like, oh, my God, the accessibility and the excitement, and we're having crowds around us just for you know conversations with – you know, Steve Kerr and, and Neil O'Shea, it was it was wild. And to, to see the build continue and, of course, the excitement around uh, this group of young players, starting with Zion, is, is it's just it's great for the game. So, you know, I'm uh, you know, I'm at home here back in New York because I had some other you know filmmaking things I had to handle. I'm watching Summer League and uh, all of a sudden uh, there's an earthquake happening. So can you can you quickly give us and uh, the audience a taste of uh, the where BJ Armstrong was? Who were you with, and, and what was your reaction when when the place started to shake? Well, I was I was at home. Uh, so I think the first earthquake I can't remember the specific date as I was at the gym um, here. I was just trying to sneak in a little, you know, my little my little daily workout. And it was really funny. I was I was sharing this with my, my my wife. It was I was at the gym, kind of doing my workout. The earthquake comes, 
and everyone kind of just pauses at the gym at the same time, right? Hmm. And uh, it was really funny because, you know, you get like, you know, 50, 75 people, whatever is in the gym and everyone just kind of, you know, it's just like a, like a, it was like a, a synchronized pause and everyone yeah. just kind of looks around and little shakings going on and then it stops and everyone just continues and no one said anything. And I get all these phone calls from like my mom and my family and everyone's like, oh, you guys are right. You heard you heard it had an earthquake. And then uh, I was like, no, everything is fine. And so everything was good. My my youngest, he thought it was great. He thought it was the funniest thing. He said, my wife said that he was just laughing the whole time. He thought it was great. That was his first earthquake. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of one of those things that you kind of kind of you know you just you just kind of roll with out here in LA and then the second one came a little tremor and kind of the same thing I was just sitting at home my wife and I we were just sitting at home and you know earthquake came and we just kind of you know looked around and checked on everybody and then went, went to bed as if it was nothing but to the rest of the country it's like oh god what's going on is, is, is the world coming oh, to an end Poor Doris Burke is on ESPN, <laughs> and, and sh she is in a panic. I know, and, I know, I know. And I know. and obviously we we were both you know fans of her and, and respect her. She does a great job, and you know we see the scoreboard and the speaker swaying. And the other gym, though, like nothing came to a stop, which I found I to be unbelievably hilarious because they're literally you know a forty-five second walk from each other. So. Um, so summer league, you know, we'll we'll talk rookies and 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 guys trying to make a name for themselves in a minute. But you know, summer league starts and everyone's waiting on Kawhi, and you got the the footage out there of you know they're they're following the car from the helicopter, kind of like uh, the white Ford Bronco from twenty five years ago, which is pretty wild, <laughs> and. You know, Kawhi and Toronto and, you know, listen, too many people are texting me asking me where Kawhi is going to go. So I can't imagine what your week was like and the conversations you were having. So just set it up for me on your end. What were you hearing? And when you went to bed Friday night before the deal went down, you know, what did you think was going to go on with Kawhi Leonard? Well, the thing that was most impressive about the Kawhi situation was there was no leaks within the camp, right? Meaning yep. whatever he was doing and whoever he was talking to, and clearly they were talking to a number of teams and executives, nothing came out, which I find in this day and age, I was very impressed with that. You know, when you when I spoke to the Clippers about other things, nothing came out. The Lakers, the Raptors, nothing came out. And um, so I was very impressed with that. So much to where they didn't even let you know if they were meeting with them. Um, mm. So it was that was very impressive. The fact that it was announced Friday evening at like 2 a.m. Eastern, I thought was kind of odd. Um, and then I, I, I was, again, I was at home and then all of a sudden around 11 o'clock 12 o'clock my time my phone just started ringing and i thought it was what happened and he had you know just announced Kawhi had just announced so um but i i was a little shocked i was a little shocked uh with the clippers decision 
And, um, but you know what? It's, it's a new game. It's a new era to, you know, today's kids have spoken and, um, and here we are. And uh, I, I tell you what, as, as, as surprised as I was about Kawhi, I was probably more shocked about the Paul George trade. Well, that there, one to there, me, there you have it. One, one yeah. doesn't happen without the other. Yeah. And that, the, the, that's just the shocker, right? Like, I, I didn't count out the Clippers because I never envisioned Kawhi Leonard as a guy who would want to team up with LeBron James and Anthony Davis instead of start uh, trying to beat him. And, you, you know, when you have Doc Rivers and Lawrence Frank and Steve Ballmer and Jerry West, they, they've got to be planning something. They've got to be up to something and knowing that not only do they need to land Kawhi, they needed to keep him away from the Lakers or else all the work they've done in, in making progress as an organization in LA would be for naught. And, to to figure out how to get that package done and what i love about this and, and want your take on on it is they get this package done but they're not looking at it like all right we're giving all of this just for paul george we're giving all of this to make sure we combo both of these guys and we are now on the map and at the top of the pecking order in la and, and head to head with the lakers saying all right we're not just some scrappy team that's going to play hard and squeak into the playoffs. We're we're all in. We're going for this right now. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you, you, you know, you know, it's real funny. I, 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 you know, I, I, I grew up in this game, you know, some thirty years ago, and to watch the decision of how people are making decisions, you know, I just find it very interesting, right? Um, you know, wanting to be traded, wanting to be moved, that's nothing new, right? That's been going on since the beginning, whether that was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he wanted to leave the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, or, you know, Wilt Chamberlain, you know, wanting or requesting to be traded is nothing new. The amount of money that these players are leaving on the table in order to move, to me, it's just mind-boggling. And uh, I was just reading this morning, you know, Kawhi Leonard, you know, they, according to this article here, Kawhi Leonard has left $118 million on the table while refusing the Supermax with the Spurs. That to me is just mind boggling. And when you start to look at what's being left on the table, whether it's KD leaving what he left to go to Brooklyn, Kyrie leaving, um, AD leaving, um, yep. And you're starting to see what's being left on the table as far as business, just business, right? And I, and I get it. You know, there are a lot of decisions that need to be made that's outside of business. But, you know, when you start leaving 80, 90, 100 million dollars, you start looking at like generational wealth and you have to examine, you know, what's the ramifications of such a decision on not only just me, right, but to my family to my kids, to my kids, 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 and what that can do. So I'm not familiar or I don't know any executives who leave that type of money on the table, sure. <laughs> right? I don't know any CEOs who's going to say, I'm going to leave, you know, present day value money of 80, 90, $100 million on the table guaranteed to go do something else because of whatever. That's just business. And um, so, I'm just more interested more in the human nature of how these decisions are being made now, more so of what, what's going on, what's transpiring, because 
Eric, I just don't under, I mean, as a, as a business person, I don't understand this way of thinking. Um, so to me, it, I just find it fascinating and, you know, human nature is, you know, I've always been intrigued by how people make decisions. And this is one that I'm really intrigued with because you're starting to see a trend here where, you know, these players are leaving regardless of what's financially can be achieved. Right. And they're making these decisions. And uh, I just find it very, very interesting of how and why they're doing what they're doing at this at this you know particular time. Yeah, I, you know, I, I want to talk about the contract that Kawhi has now entered into with the Clippers. But before we do, the Supermax rule, the Supermax creation was brought into this to prevent guys from jumping ship and to making more money and, and staying with that organization. And whether it's teammates, location, organization, the mix of the three, that is a lot more of a motivating and driving factor right now than taking that money in the here and now from that team that can resign you to that Supermax. So, you know, you just rattled off a whole list of guys that said, you know what, like, I, I don't, I don't want to be here professionally and an extra $80 million is not enough to convince me. And, you know, let, let's hope that at some point in, 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 in my life, and I, I know you haven't left 80 million on the table. Um, there does, there's a decision I have to make uh, <laughs> regarding numbers like that. Or, or anything approaching seven figures. But, you know, Kawhi, and talking Supermax, so he has a three-year deal, but it's two years with a third-year option. And as we know, and it's been out there, that Kawhi Leonard, after two years, can opt out, and then he can then extend on a Supermax, but not just any Supermax, the 10-year veteran Supermax, which I mm -hmm. believe would pay him upwards of uh, $250 million dollars. Mm -hmm. um on that deal so you know what do you think about this decision and from where you sit was that a no-brainer all along for Kawhi to play with this window of time knowing the 10-year thing was on the horizon you know it, it's it's easy to sit and on the couch or from afar and you you, you start questioning things but I, I will say this you know, not many people know this, but, um, you know, at one point, this rule that we call the Supermax now was called the Derrick Rose rule. And Derrick Rose right. was the first player. Derrick Rose was the I first totally, player. I, I totally right? forgot that. And so my idea at that time when this was being proposed was is to be, for the players to be able to participate with the owners in the performance of the game and the performance of these players potentially as they were coming in on rookie scale contracts to be able to participate in what their value could be based on what the salary cap was or what is it going to be. So these players would get 35% of 30 to 35% of the salary cap and be able to participate with these owners. If mm. it, if that was the whole idea. The whole idea was based on performance. Right. Okay. So Derrick Rose was the first player 
it was called the Derrick Rose Rule, okay? And they grandfathered in Kevin Durant there at the time. He was with Oklahoma, he was with uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Go back in time. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so just just to clarify, did this happen uh, in the lockout? Okay, so it was after Derrick's MVP season. This was... So 11-12 was the lockout. Yeah, somewhere around that. I can't yeah. remember. So he was MVP yeah. in 2011. Is to so be able is... to participate. So yep. the whole yep. idea was for the players who are on rookie-scale contracts to be able to participate if they perform and outperform their rookie-scale contracts. That's right. That was the whole idea. <laughs> okay, like... You come in on a rookie scale contract and you're an all-star or whatever. Clearly you're outperforming the contract and your value is now you've exceeded that value. So now you have an opportunity to, you know, participate. If the salary cap goes up, you go up. You know, you're thinking long-term, you're thinking big picture, you're thinking you know, whatever it is, I just want to be able to participate in the game. You're playing the long game. Yep. Now, I don't, like, I'm trying to understand what this is or what the thinking process is, but other than players having the opportunity to move around, I don't get the business part of it. I, I understand the fact that you want to play in certain places or certain markets or with certain players. I understand that, but at what expense does, what, what, what does that mean? Yeah. yeah I, so, I, I just so, don't, I don't, I don't, but again, it's a new way of thinking. So clearly so new. I'm just trying to understand, okay, what's the long-term play here? Like what's Do the you... long-term play that we're trying to comprehend because Again, this is a whole new way of thinking. And I'm just thinking in terms of what for the players. Like, I, I understand the owner's perspective. I understand, you know, from the league and what the union was trying to do. But as a player, you understand that injuries are a part of the game. You understand that, you know what? A player at 35 is not going to be as valuable as a player who's 27 and 28 so at what point here do you look at the business of sports the business of sports and begin to weigh those factors as you're making decisions that's going to affect you for the rest of your life and so th that's a decision that i'm really interested in trying to understand okay you know, how are we going about making these decisions at this present time? Do you think the NBA is saying to themselves, my goodness, this Supermax thing is is not doing what we thought it in terms of uh, helping keep players in those markets? Do, well, do you think they're looking at this as a negative or do you think they're like, OK, this is this is early. As you said, it's brand new. We need to digest this and see what happens in the next few years. Because as we all know, the free agency class of 2020 is going to be minute compared to this year. And then 2021 probably sits right in the middle of what we just saw and what will be next year. Well, so, I think that, yeah, well, I, I think Gary, I think what the players are saying, and, and, and I, re, I remember when this idea first 
came to my attention. It was like in 96 or 97 or sometime. Um, it was a lockout, I believe, right around that time. And the players, they, 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 when the collective bargaining agreement was ratified and they, they changed the rules, uh, again, the players, the idea came about, well, well if they're going to take away the competitive spirit of the game and now put it in a salary cap where everyone is now going to be capped off at a number, right? There was no more, you know, open market, if you will. Mm-hmm. And everyone's going to be in a salary cap. The competitive spirit was taken away. So now it put focus in on just numbers, right? If you are a 20-point scorer, you get the max. Didn't mean that you were a max player. It was just the numbers. And I remember that in like 90, like right around there, 96 or 97, or somewhere right, right around there is when that idea first came about. And that was at the end of my career. And I thought, wow, because, you know, when you had to compete in an open market, that put pressure on you to perform. Now the pressure to perform wasn't there because all you had to do was get your numbers. Right. Okay. That was the first, I, that was the first time that, that, you know, you had to, you know, at one point you got paid because not only you were the best player on your team, but you had to win in addition. Okay. To just being a good player, you know, like Dominique Wilkins and these guys were averaging 30 points a game, but they weren't at the same level, if you will, the, the Magics and the, the, the Michael, uh, the, the Larry Birds and the Magic Johnson, because they were, those guys were winning championships. Okay. If you, if you know what I mean, there was like tears to this. Got it. Yep. Okay. But the, the interesting thing, when I first came into the league, when I first came into the league in 1989, I, re, I vividly remember as a collegiate player, it was all about the team. You know, it was, you know, I went to Iowa. So it was the Iowa Hawkeyes are playing against the Indiana Hoosiers and, and the North Carolina Tar Heels versus the Duke Blue. It was all team, team, team. Okay. And I thought it was really interesting when I came into this league that it was players. It was star players. And that's what, helped, that's what helped grow the league. Okay. That's what helped grow the league. Okay. But the star players in the 80s when, they, when David Stern and the NBA went to marketing individual star players is that those star players were performing. So Magic Johnson went to the finals eight times in 10 years in the 80s. Yep. Larry Bird went there like five times and won three championships. Larry Magic won like five. So eight out of the five were, it was eight like- out, Eight out of the 10. The so ten. Eight like out of the Magic 10. Larry. Yep. Okay. And then the other two was like, I think the Sixers. Yep. And then, and then the I think- first the first Bad Boys. And then yep. the Bad Boys. Okay. So you had Dr. J, Larry Bird. So you were marketing the star players, but the star players were performing. It was just a perfect storm. Then or, suddenly this or, or Orlando or Orlando Woolridge and his 20 points were not getting attention. Yes. So then suddenly in the 90s, another star player emerges and he's performing and he wins six out of 10 in the 10 years. OK. And talking about well, he was really six out of eight because he. Yep. He, 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 you know, he retired for two years and I think the Pistons won one in like 91, I believe, or something like that. Uh, Pistons in 90, Bulls three, mm -hmm. Rockets two, Bulls two. three, and that was yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. So the, the players, whether it was Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan, Akeem Olajuwon, again, they were performing. Suddenly, 
somewhere in there, the star player didn't have to perform to be a star player. You just got your numbers. That to me is what has happened. And that's what's happening now hmm. is that now the emphasis on performance now is not necessary to be a star player today. That's the difference between, you know, then and now, because in order to be Jordan, they had to perform. In order to be Akeem Olajuwon, or in order to be a star player, a superstar player, it required you to perform. It required you to be responsible. It required you to hold yourself and the team accountable for 82 games plus the playoffs. Today, and the, bo- the, the, and the bottom line is, is winning. So per- the, that was the performing line. the definition, the, the definition of performing in that time is is winning. And and come come to work and play in as many of those games on the schedule as humanly possible. Well, well, I mean, it was just a different idea. Everyone knew then you were only as good as your best player. That's the difference. Like, you were only as – think about that. You were only as good as your best player. Now we're trying to build teams so that it's like a shared responsibility. (laughs) Like, we have two – like, think about this. The formula today is we got to get two or three superstars in order for us to be good. Yeah. And this is the ultimate summer. And this leads us into the next thing. And I'm not, I'm not cutting you off. I'm just adding this. This is the ultimate summer of the repairing and restructuring of where a lot of these stars have gone and who they're teaming up with. So, yeah, it, it, it happened right in front of us last week. Yeah, and and so this is where the game is going. So it's been interesting for me to watch it. It's been interesting for me to observe it. And I'm really intrigued more than anything now is that the executives now are making decisions based on we we have to get a star player. And it's being sold to their fan base as if, well, until we get this star player, you just got to hold tight with us. Yep. And to me, this is the most interesting thing is that this is all being dictated, not based on performance, just on you're a star player. You're a star player, but you haven't performed yet. You're just, you have the numbers. You look like a star player. But what have you done to become a superstar? Because at one point you used to have to, you know, you used to have to perform. You used to have to win before you were a superstar player. and now. It's just numbers. Well, yeah, a guy so, averaged 25 a game, he's a star. He's a superstar. So that, so that leads me to a few specific players and situations. So, you know, I, listen, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard together is – we're going to have a lot to talk about on that front for quite a while. Uh, I think the pairing is um, a, a, a fantastic move for the Clippers. I, I think it really takes their team to an elite level. And we'll have plenty of time to talk about uh, whether or not Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are the best wing combo we've seen in the league since your teammates, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. But on the subject of performance star winning, we need to talk about Jimmy Butler. He's in a situation in Philadelphia where, you know, they're potentially on the cusp. Embiid, Simmons making the decision on Butler and Tobias Harris at the beginning of free agency. What, what was your response to Butler saying, 
okay, you're offering me all this money. I, I, I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. And, you know, I thought he had a very unique situation there in Philly where he could be the veteran leader, could help mold these young guys, didn't have to carry the load, but could also be the closer and the clutch guy. I always go back to my, my playing days and always remember what I learned as a player. And, and, you know, you continue to learn and evolve as, you know, you work in front office and so forth. But when the players speak, I always listen. And, you know, it's funny when you ask, when you read scouting reports, when I first started working in the front office, I would read these scouting reports, and then I would ask the players and they would always, you know, they would, they would contradict. And uh, I learned this from the, in, from the late Chuck Daly. And I played for him down in Orlando. He, and he would always ask the players how they wanted to defend another player. Hmm. And I thought, God, this was very, like, this was like a very empowering moment. Like he didn't tell the player how to defend it. He would ask the player. And after 15 or 20 games or so, I said, hey, coach, how come you always ask the player? Because he was like, what's the one thing that I want from you? And I was like, I have no idea. And he was like, I just want you to play hard. Even if you do it wrong and you, and you do it hard, it probably will work. Right. <laughs> okay. So and as we began to talk throughout the year, he would always say, you know what? When you were when we were playing against Michael Jordan and you, when you were with the Bulls, he was like, I would ask Joe Dumars how you wanted to play him because none of us have defended Michael Jordan. And I thought, wow, this guy is like a genius. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm sharing, saying this story is because the players know. Like, you and I can watch film and and come up with all these philosophies, but the guy who actually has to go out there and do the work has a firsthand account and. His, you know, his, his opinion matters. He's the one out there doing it. And, and this goes back to Jimmy Butler. And the reason I'm saying this about Jimmy Butler is because not what Jimmy has said is what he hasn't said. Everyone is, you know, before air, we were talking about this scouting report we were looking at, and they had the Sixers as the, you know, the best team in the NBA. Players, no. The fact that Jimmy Butler left the team He's trying to tell us something without telling us anything. It's 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 saying I, it's, I, I, it's saying I, something. I, I don't sure. know what I don't know what he knows, but I know he knows something. And players know. Players know who the best player is. Players know who can and can't play. Players know. And 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 in my generation, right? Rod Strickland was never an all star. But you ask any player in that era about Rod Strickland. That's crazy. He was definitely an all-star. Rod Strickland, everyone knew that that man could play. Now, (laughs) okay? So the players know. Now, what he's trying to tell us about the Sixers, we may not know what he's saying right now, but at some point it will come out because he's telling us something. He's telling us something about the team, about the organization, about the players, and he may be wrong, but you can't fault his opinion. But so, he so. may be right because he he's been in there, he's been in the locker room, and I don't know. I look at Joel Embiid, I go, wow, what a talent! I look at Ben Simmons, you go, man, this guy's six ten, point guard, you know, and you look at all the things from the outside, and you go, Bias Harris is there. He's Jimmy Butler doesn't have to care. You're looking at all of the things on the outside, but there must be something that we can't see 
or wasn't a good fit that the players are telling us. So I always look at the players and what they're what they're telling us, and then you try to figure out as you go along. But again, I just thought it was odd when you look at their roster because at the end of the season, Eric, he was the main focal point for them in the playoffs. He was yep. the go-to guy. Listen, he was he's the go-to he's, guy. He's, he's the closer, and if Kawhi's shot bounces out, they're in overtime of game seven. This Don't. is what I'm saying. So yep. what is he? what does he know that the rest of us don't know and, and only time will tell? That's a, that's a great way to put it. So, you know, he's in Miami. Um, I like Philly getting Richardson back, but, you know, Jimmy Butler, Josh Richardson is not yet is Jimmy Butler. Before we wrap real quick, uh, I need one summer league call out from you. Who's a name in summer league that we don't yet know but we're soon going to hear about because they're a uh, an under the radar name that's going to that's going to get on the radar quickly when this 1920 season excuse me starts. Well, I, I'm telling you, the, the fan favorite, okay, was Taco. All right, he was I love mean, it, love I mean, it. He, he was he was he was he was fabulous, and uh, you know, I I love Biggs. I I'm, I'm a little guy who's you know. You know, I'm really probably a big guy who's just trapped in this little guard's body because I love bigs. Like, I, I love the bigs. And I just love Taco. Like, I, I, I was rooting for him. And just like everyone else there in, in Summer League, he was he was great. And I'm, I'm rooting for that kid. Um, but one of the top players that I love was the kid, uh, Nikhil Alexander. I, I thought he was great. I love his size. Um, what he was able to do there for New Orleans, mm-hmm. I think he's going to, I think he has a chance to be a really, really, really good NBA player. You know, a lot of times you watch these kids in college, like you watch Donovan Mitchell, right? You watch these kids in college and you, and you never know how it's going to translate to the NBA game. You know, what you saw in college and then what you saw in the NBA, you go, wow, it's, you know, that looks like two different players. But this kid, Nikhil Alexander, I, I was I, I was really impressed with his size, his ability, just certain things like, you know, he's like 6'5", like a 6'5 point guard. He can pass with his left hand, right hand. He can seal the defense. He's a strong body. He can defend. So I, I, I really love big guards who play yep. small. And uh, he plays low to the ground. I liked what I saw from him as far as just being able to adjust to the NBA game. Um, you know, you saw some, you know, some big kids there, but he really, in my humble opinion, stood out because you go, that kid there could be a real problem. And his, his cousin, Shea Alexander, you know, when I watched him in summer league last year, I kind of said the same thing. I was like, cause you saw him in Kentucky and you know, I, I didn't really know his game. I wasn't really familiar. You know, he's, he's Canadian, but you saw things that he was doing and he had a terrific season last year with the Clippers. And um, so I love this kid, Nikhil um, Alexander, nice, nice player. And uh, I, I think the Pelicans got to, you know, I know they're excited about Zion, but I'm telling you what, that kid there, a kid like he has a chance to be a star player. Sounds like the Pelicans fans have a lot to be excited about. We will keep an eye on that talent for sure. Great job today, my friend. Special thanks to our newest 
Pure Hoops Media producer Mike Lieber to Bruce Bernstein, Benjamin Wolfen, the entire Pure Hoops Media squad. Catch the Mike Wise Show on Mondays. Catch and shoot coming back Wednesday. Buckets, boards, and blocks, of course, Thursday. And BJ and I coming at you throughout the summer, keeping you updated on everything going on. NBA summer player movement. We'll talk grassroots and AAU recruiting also later this summer. Have a great weekend, everybody. Peace. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.